amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Well, guys, would you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11? Paul was the pastor who planted the church at Corinth. He pastored that work on his second missionary journey as a church plant, and he stayed a year and a half teaching them the gospel. So when he's writing this letter, he's actually writing to answer questions. They had some problems going on, and we saw earlier in the book, he said, concerning the things what you guys wrote to me about, they had questions about the faith, as we all do. These are people that have only been Christians at the most a year and a half, maybe a couple extra months because the letter had to travel to him and he had to write back. So we'll give him maybe two years. How many of you were mature in your Christian faith at two years in Christ? Just rocking it solid, right? No problems. Had it down. No. At two years old, just think of a baby. There's a whole bunch of learning curves going on. And forget running a race. We're like getting just used to walking. If we're walking, hopefully by then we are. When people are new Christians, unfortunately, they have people watching them and the world does not view us correctly. The world just says, oh, you say you're a Christian? Well, then why aren't you perfect like Jesus? Because I'm new at this. I'm just learning. And you don't start off doing it perfect, do you? But we have a perfect model to use. We learn so good by example. We have the Lord as our example. So when we don't know what to do, we just need to look to him and say, okay, what would he do? And Paul, Paul, knowing that these new Christians didn't have it down, didn't know how to do it, he tells them, just imitate me. You don't know how to do it? Be an imitator of me as I am an imitator of Christ. I've been doing this a while. I'll just show you. Let's look at verse 2 because Paul's going to go on. And they had some problems in Corinth in the church. They had written to him about him. And Paul's got to now address these things that they were asking about. So 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2, he says, I praise you because you remember me in everything. And you hold firmly to the traditions as I delivered them to you. I give you a good pat on the back. You remember the traditions and you're holding on to them, good job. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. How many of you know this? Christ is supposed to be the head. I know some guys are like, I want to be the boss over God. Sorry, guys, it does not work that way. Look, straight away, if you got that problem, you got a big problem. When Paul says, but, I have to tell you this. Whenever someone starts with but, usually there's some important thing they're going to say, but I got to tell you, Christ is the head of every man. We're called the body of Christ. If we're the body, we're not the head. Christ is the head. Who's in charge of making the body move? The head. Now, this might sound so simplistic. Some of you are going, gee, this is simple anatomy. Everyone knows the head's in charge. Again, sometimes, you know, we do stuff that's not really along those lines. We try to get one body part in charge over the head. Or one body part that doesn't want to listen to the head. No, we wouldn't admit we would ever be that part. Some other Christians did that. Not us. We always submit to the head. We're in sync. I submit to you the only time I've ever gotten in trouble is when I don't submit to the head. If you can receive that, that's probably all you need to learn from the lesson today. The warning is be careful whenever you won't submit to Christ as your head. Because Christ sometimes to some people, he's just their savior. It's like a life preserver. You're in the ocean drowning. They're like, so throw me a life preserver, I'm drowning. And they look at Jesus as that life ring, you know, they can hang on to. 
and he's going to save me. He's there. Get out of hell free card. Save me from eternal damnation, Lord. I'll take it. I need saving. And they sign up for that, but they don't understand that the Bible teaches he is not just our Savior. He's called our Lord and Savior. And what does the word Lord mean? It means master, the one in charge, master. And when he's the master, well, who calls the shots? It's supposed to be him. Unfortunately, some of the Christians, they only want him as Savior and not as Lord. They don't want him to be calling the shots. They don't want him as the master. You can save me, but don't tell me what to do. Is that really becoming an imitator of Christ? No. You're missing the boat. Paul will be like, excuse me. Remember the traditions? What kind of traditions do you think he was teaching them? He taught them about the Lord's Supper. He taught them to follow the Lord. Taught them to imitate the Lord. And now he says, you did a good job, but by the way, do you think we could preach this message to all the churches around the world that Christ is the head? Like we're supposed to remember who's in charge. I've been around a little while. I've seen different expressions of the body of Christ, different fellowships. It's amazing how some churches, they don't ever talk about Christ being in charge. They talk about the leadership being in charge or the denomination is in charge. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. There's only one head, that's Jesus. And if you don't want to recognize that, you probably won't like the rest of the sermon. Now, remember, they had questions about relationships with marriage, with non-Christians. How do they deal with them? Now we're going to turn to the, I think, one of the most important relationships is the relationship of a husband and a wife. Remember when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, marriage is a great mystery. It was the mystery of Christ and his church. Some people are never going to read a Bible, but they're going to watch your marriage. They're looking at you. You're a living Bible for them. You're the only Bible they'll ever read. And if you don't realize that those of you that are married, guys, I'm going to take you to Ephesians in a few minutes. We don't really get off easy. We have specific instructions about how we're supposed to love our wives. Like Christ loved the church. By the way, it's not suggestion. So don't think you get out of this, guys. If you feel like it, you get to love your wife like Christ loves the church. No, it's a command. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he laid down his life. He gave his life for her. And he sanctified her. And he washed her clean by the washing of the water of the word. He made her cleansed so that he could take his bride and say, here she is. No spot, no wrinkle, nor any such thing. For the guys that are not married yet, listen to me, guys. If you meet a gal and you are sitting there picking her apart and you're thinking, oh, she's got this flaw and that flaw and this and that, when it's the right gal, what you're supposed to do is say, look at my sweetheart. Isn't she perfect? No, the reality is that we're supposed to sanctify, set her on a pillar higher than any other person. And by the way, there's no putting mom on the same shelf. I love you, honey, but... I will never stop loving my mom as much as I love you. Does that work out well for the guy? Nope. That's the worst thing you can do. The word sanctify means to put on the highest shelf. It's a word from the Greek culture where they had that pillar of sanctification. When you came into the foyer of the real rich person's house, they had those carved pillars in the foyer. And in the center, one pillar stood. Ornate thing at the height of a man's head, usually about six foot high. It's just in the middle of the foyer doing nothing except it was called the pillar of sanctification because in the Greek culture, they were polytheistic. They had many gods. 
and they got Zeus and Hermes and Aphrodite. And whatever God you had as the owner of the home, when you were the Lord of your house, the master of your house, you got to choose which God was your favorite. And you could only have one. Usually it was a, a bust from the waistline up. They would have that sitting right there. So when you walked into the person's house, be like, oh, this guy's into Zeus. He could still believe in other ones, but the one that in his mind was the greatest, the best, no one better sat on that pillar. Paul used the very same word that the Greeks used for sanctification for their God to tell us men we have to sanctify our wives. He didn't use a different word. In the Greek, he used the same word that says, you must put your God on this high pillar. No other one gets to share the shelf. You put your wife on that pillar. By the way, if you're a mama's boy and you put mama next to that, you're just asking for trouble. That pillar is meant for one only. Now, unfortunately, this is a teaching of the Bible that we learn because of what Christ did for the church. Until Christ came, women were, honestly, if you study history, how women were treated, especially over in that region of the world, women were treated as property and not very well. It was Christ that elevated the position of women. When he came and taught these teachings, and then Paul takes that teaching and says, all right, guys, no getting out of this. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. You got to do this. You got to do it. It's the way it goes. I want you to tell me how many instructions the gals have. Turn to Ephesians 5. This is where we get the wedding vows from. People are like, where do we get that love, cherish, till death do us part thing? That's in the Bible. So you're like, uh, traditional vows, where do they come from? The Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, this is in the last part of Ephesians. Verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. And husbands, you have to love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. Sanctify means set her apart on that pillar, that special place, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. Verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot, no wrinkle, nor any such thing. You know when Christ presents us someday? Is he gonna present us with all our flaws? Look at my bride, she's all messed up. No, we're gonna be presented to the world without spot, without wrinkle, no blemish. The Christ will have made us presented as, here they are, my perfect bride. Now, why will we be perfect? Because of us? No, because of what he did. His work makes us perfect. By the way, guys, with your brides, you're supposed to be presenting them. This is my bride. She's perfect. Some of you fall really short on this. You go telling other people, oh, but my wife, she did this wrong and she did that wrong. She burnt the toast and she popped my yolk when she was cooking it. I hate it when the yolks get popped. I don't need to hear this. That doesn't matter. We are commanded to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And he presents her with no spot, no wrinkle, nor any such thing. He says, this is my bride. Isn't she perfect? I made her perfect. Gals, how do you feel when your husband presents you that way? 
how do we feel as the church, the body of Christ, when we know that he's going to present us that way? And guys, you have the power to refresh your wife's soul. Christians should be masters of this. We should be so good at doing this, men, that people who never read a Bible see us treat our wives and go, there's something different about that guy. There's something beautiful. Look at how he loves his wife. He presents her to everyone like, look at how perfect she is. And they should be able to see a picture, a living picture of Christ and his bride in our marriages. There's a few more things we have to do, guys. Back to Ephesians 5, verse 27. We should present her with no spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing that she should be holy and blameless. How does it make us feel when Christ makes us holy and blameless? Isn't that a great feeling? Holy means separated, consecrated use. And blameless means there's nothing we can be pinned on us, no fault, no sin. He has forgiven it. Isn't that a great feeling? That he's forgiven you that completely. But guys, that's how we have to present our wives to the world. We ought to present them holy and blameless. And then it says, so husbands also ought to love their wives as their own body. It says no one's ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. Don't we take care of our own body real well? We don't even need instructions. We crave to find out how to nourish and cherish this thing. But see, the Bible says when you're married, the two become one flesh. You're no longer two, you're one. So now you're talking your flesh is her flesh, her flesh is yours. You need to take care of her flesh, nourish and cherish her flesh because it's part of yours. In God's economy, you two became one. And what's to say what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. No man separate. God puts you together, you're together. Now guys, this isn't a suggestion. Does it say anywhere here? If you feel like it, you might want to sanctify her once in a while. Maybe nurse and cherish her a little just to keep her alive. No, this is something you're supposed to do all the time. How much do you like Christ to nurse and cherish you? I mean, I like it all the time. So guys, we have to do this all the time. Now, all this instruction for us guys, and by the way, if you just want to know the rest of the marriage vows, no one's ever hated his own flesh. He nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and to cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, Paul says in verse 32, is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and his church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And wives, see to it that you respect your husband. I was sure there was a typo here because only thing I can figure out in this whole chapter women get told to do, I can't even find the verse that says they have to love their husband. It just says submit to them. Respect them. Doesn't say love anywhere. We have to love them, lay our lives down, sanctify, nourish, cherish, no spot, no wrinkle, nor any such thing. And they got to do respect? What? Where's the verse that says they got to love us and nourish and cherish us and do all that other stuff? Is there a verse that says that? In the whole of the Bible, there is not. At first, I was convinced God made a boo-boo here. But after many years of pastoring and having to hear lots of marital strivings and complaints, I realized we are wired a whole lot different. You know that Men is Mars thing, women, Venus, all that stuff? 
different planets, different whole things going on. Yep, that's right. And it's scriptural. Women need a lot more things in line to know their love. And that includes nourishing, cherishing. Guys, sorry, this is the way they're wired. They are more complex than us. We have like a simple button. If we don't feel any respect, guess what? We don't feel love. Like there's a worldly comedian made his whole claim to fame on one line. I don't get no respect. How can you build an audience of following in the comedic world if you don't have people that can identify with your humor? The only way humor is really, truly funny is if you can personally feel some connection. He's got millions of followers. He's not that good looking. And all he says really is one line. It's that one line that built his whole entire claim to fame. And the reason is because there's a lot of men that don't feel respected. Now, this does not tell you women that you have to respect all men. What man are you supposed to respect in this passage? Your husband. Just your husband. But let me tell you from the flip side, from the man's point of view, you can tell us all day, you love us, you nourish us, you cherish us, you do all those wonderful things for us, and you say, but I don't respect you. You know what you just said to us? You do not love us. Our filter is way more simple. You will find out this is really true. And women will tell me, but he's not worthy to be respected. He's a foul up. I didn't find a verse that says when he's worthy, you get to respect him. It just says you got to do it. Just like we have to sanctify you. It doesn't say when you deserve it. You're our bride. We got to do it. Where your husband, you got to do it. Now, guys, don't get mad at me because the Bible teaches this from the very beginning. When Adam gets created by God in the garden and God presents all the animals to Adam, Adam names them all and God goes, there was not a helpmate suitable for him. So he put Adam to sleep and he took a rib and he formed woman. From Hebrew, woman means taken from man. She must have taken from his heel. Like some guys want to put their wives under their feet. That's not right. She was taken from the rib. What does the rib protect? The heart. God goes, I'll take her from that part and I'll form the perfect helpmate for him. And he made Eve. And he presented Eve to Adam and Adam went, she shall be called woman. She was taken from me. And she's now his bride. Now, when God did that, it said Adam wasn't good for him to be alone. He needed a helpmate suitable for him. What does that imply men need help? Are there men that say, I don't need any help? I don't need help. I don't need anybody help. I'll do it all on my own. That's baloney. But implied by God's design, we need help. So he made a helpmate suitable. Now, if you say to your wife, don't help me, the purpose for her creation was to help you, and you say, don't do it. How fulfilled will her life be? You just stepped all over. Her design by God is to help you, but you're too proud to accept it. And I ain't accepting her help. I'll get help somewhere else. That's stupid. God made her so she can help you accept the help. When we're so prideful that we don't do that, we get in trouble. And gals, it's a very delicate thing when you're helping a man because we don't really like to be told that we need help. Even though we do need the help, okay? I'm not saying we don't. It's just how you tell us that we need the help when we're messing up. This is the secret I'm going to teach you. 
Never once did my grandmother tell my grandfather what to do. Not once. Now, did she ever speak into his life good suggestions of what he needs to do because he might not see the answer? But she stepped back over here and she sees it clear as day because she got a little bit bigger perspective. It's like, I see the answer. Do you think she would walk over and say, oh, I see what you need to do and tell him? No. My grandmother would never tell my grandfather the answer. She'd go up and ask it in the form of a question. Honey, would it work if you did this? I don't know. But would this work? And what she was doing is spoon-feeding him the answer. But she wasn't telling him, you idiot, you don't know the answer. Let me tell you. She was respectfully being a helper. Do we mind getting help? No. But by asking in the form of a question, leaves room for the form of an answer. Or even the form of, thank you, I need it. That's a great suggestion. See, it works a lot better. She never told him. She just asked. Remember, marriage is about Christ and the church. How about us talking to the head? Do we say, hey, you need to do this down here. I see a problem. You ought to take care of that head. You're the husband in the relationship. You should fix that. Or should we go to the Lord and say, Lord, could you fix that? Because maybe you don't see the bigger picture and he does. Sometimes we're even bossy with God. Have you ever noticed that? I listen to their prayers and I'm like, do you think God just doesn't know his job? I'm pretty sure he's more equipped than we are. But if I listen to your prayers, you're like, God, you need to do this and this. And I'm telling you, get this done and fix that. And then when you get that done, that domino will fall and then this will fall. And then you can do that. Like they got it all figured out for God. God, if you want me to have that place, you could just let me win this thing. And I could enter that drawing and then I could win that drawing. And you can make this happen. And then I'll be a multi-billionaire and then I'll buy the thing. And oh, by the way, I'll tithe. God's going, I'm really impressed by your plan. I was just going to have someone give it to you, but you like got 50 steps to get to that. And we do this to God. But who's the head? Christ. Now, for you gals, let's go back to Corinthians. Paul, when he's writing the church at Corinth, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. The man is the head of every woman. And God is the head of Christ. This is who's in charge. We need to remember this. The rest of the instruction will not make sense to you unless you learn the chain of command. Who's at the top? God. Who's under him? Christ. Who's under him? Then the man. Then who's under him? The woman. If you don't like this, don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you the way it is. Now, guys, if you're loving your wives like Christ loves the church, it's a lot easier for her to respect you as her head. What if the guy is not loving the wife like Christ loves the church? Is it really healthy for the woman to submit to that? Have you ever run into guys that misabuse this authority they're like tell my wife to submit to me and it doesn't work guys you're not going to love your wife the correct way if you won't submit to the lord this is a chain of command christ submitted to god jesus himself remember when he was going to the cross he said father i don't want to drink this cup if there's any way i can pass on this let's just pass because he knew what was coming nevertheless thy will be done he showed us submission to the chain of command, the one who's in authority, God. Now, I'm to imitate him, right? Paul says, you imitate me as I imitate him, and he's showing me what to do. Submit to God. Men, we cannot tell our wives, submit to us if we don't submit to God. It would be imbalanced. It would be improper. She won't have a problem submitting to you when you're submitted to Christ. Trust me, this works really good. As long as you learn the chain. Break one link in the chain, you muck up the whole thing. 
It doesn't work. It abuses is what it does. Instead of beautifies like it's meant to. See, it's a beautiful thing when a man submits to Christ and his wife submits to him as he's submitting to the Lord. It's gorgeous. It is so neat to see couples that actually live this out. It's like, wow, there's something different there. And to the world, do they spot that? Do the people who don't go to church, do they watch us as Christians? Isn't it funny how they'll be like, aren't you a Christian? Are you supposed to be doing that? You're like, wait, I've never seen you at church. Doesn't matter. I don't think Jesus would do that. Isn't that funny how they know what Jesus would do? Aren't you supposed to be imitating Jesus? Come on, if the non-Christians know we're supposed to act like that, then why don't we know that we're supposed to act like that? Let's live up to being a Christian the way the Bible teaches us and do it right. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, celebratethelord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at amazinggracekona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.